Well, today our scripture is going to come from 2 Kings chapter 2. It's going to be about Elijah and being raised up to heaven. And if you've heard me before, then you're not unfamiliar with the fact that I really love the lectionary. I love that it speaks to different times of the year. Um, And I love that it challenges me to see how it speaks in different times of the year. And this is one of those times that I was both blessed and challenged um, to see how on the Sunday before Lent begins, how this passage with Elijah being raised into heaven fit in. And here's what I'm thinking. Elijah's time was so limited here on earth. He did great things, but his time was just limited. It was just a moment here on earth. Just as in Ash Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, we often realize that from dust we came and to dust we return. Even someone great like Elijah had to leave this place. And yet, in all things, he trusted in the God who transcends generations, the God who is there from the beginning of earth and will be there for all of eternity, despite our own mortality. In all of this, the key is that he trusted in God enough to say that his life was worth only so much. His life was for working for God, for working for a greater purpose. His life could end, and he he could trust in God because he knew that God would still carry on God's own purposes and promises. With that, let's open to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll go from 1 to 14. After King Ahab's death, whoops, that's the wrong chapter, sorry. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But once again, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went, 
and they watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away? And Elisha replied, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request, but if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And they disappeared from sight. Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And when they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him, Sir, they said, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or some valley. No, Elisha said, don't send them. Dear Jesus, thank you for meeting us here today. We ask that you would pour your blessing upon your word, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so Elijah lived in a time that was a very far cry from the kingdom of David. And it was a very far cry from what the Lord had intended for his creation. The kingdom had split. The ten northern kingdoms split apart from the two southern kingdoms. And their first king, Jeroboam, was not a nice guy. And he very much did not want the ten tribes to reunite with the, the southern two tribes. And so he built temples for the northern tribes of Israel to worship in because he feared that if they were to go worship back in Jerusalem, there would be temptation to reunite. That's what started it, his fear and his, his jealousy even and greed. So he raised up these temples for the people to worship at. It seems harmless, except that included in this worship was a lot of other varying religions, including the Baals. And that was a problem. 
the religions in the land were very violent, actually. There was child sacrifice. There was depravity. There was none of the hope that God had intended for his people. And that is the religious area that they were marrying into. And so from the time of Jeroboam to the time when Elijah started his ministry was about 60 years. And in that 60 years, each one of Jeroboam's successors became worse and worse and worse, more and more depraved, more corrupt, more selfish, more greedy, more prideful. And the land suffered for it. The people didn't know what, what was good and what was bad, what to worship and what not to worship. And the violence of the land overtook them. There were a few people who held out hope for God, even in this very dark time, and even in a land that seemed like was beyond redemption. There were people who held out hope for God. They knew that God wanted them to be a part of a better kingdom. They knew that God had desired better things for them, and so they worked for the kingdom. They put their trust in God, and they worked for the kingdom because they knew that this hopelessness and violence and corruption and brokenness was not the end of the story. And it was into this setting which Elijah stood for God. And he was truly a great prophet. With God's direction and power, he performed 16 miracles, including proclaiming God's drought upon the people and an epic showdown with the prophets of Baal and the subsequent rainfall that came to the land. And with all that Elijah showed them, it was always God who was working through him. And this gave hope to those few people who clung to trusting in God and who clung to the fact that there was something better than the brokenness of the land. And with all Elijah did, there were still some who hadn't been trusting in God but who were now turning back to the Lord. It showed them that God was still with them even in their brokenness. And that is what Elijah lived into in the chaos of his day. And it was a good thing, and people really respected him and looked up to him. Those people who did still worship God saw him as a beacon of hope. And then the word came. There would be a whirlwind, and Elijah would be taken up in it. The Lord instructed him to travel all around. And so he spent the last time of, of the last of his time on earth visiting these groups of prophets. Here's a note. These groups of prophets 
may or may not have had the gift of prophecy for themselves. Um, what they actually were was sons of prophets or disciples of prophets. So very much like Elisha called out my father, my father, to Elijah. Um, it's a spiritual relationship. So these sons of prophets had spiritual fathers, spiritual mentors. Some of them may have even been disciples of Elijah himself. But they may or may not have had the gift of prophecy for themselves, and they may or may not have had the depth of faith that Elijah and Elisha had. Whatever the case is, when they heard about Elijah's impending departure, something struck them. Because by themselves, without this great um, leader, without this great man to look up to, what if they became a little bit lost? They looked to Elijah for guidance. Now, we don't know how these disciples had been informed about Elijah's leaving. Maybe they heard it for themselves, directly from God. Maybe it was Elijah who told them. Whatever the case may be, they heard about it. They knew it was happening. They were trying to prepare for it. But they didn't necessarily know how. It was Elijah who was to be taken up in a whirlwind, and yet it seems that there was this figurative whirlwind that was pressing down on these groups. It felt a little bit lost and chaotic. They were probably confused, maybe a little excitable. This hadn't happened before, barring Enoch. Um, they were probably quite a bit anxious. They're vastly outnumbered in their land. Even though this is the land of God, they are the minority. Elijah has done great things, and surely God is with him. What will happen when Elijah is gone? What will happen to Israel, and what will happen to them? They trusted that God worked through Elijah, but in this transitional time, when Elijah would no longer be there, then maybe trust in God himself was a little flimsy. And so they kind of cornered Elisha. And both groups asked him, did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? I think he knew. He, he was well aware, and they knew he knew. So there's more to this question. Because Elisha thought of Elijah as a father figure, and Elisha never separated from Elijah. Elisha is known to be the one who will take Elijah's place. They all know this, and they naturally look to him for some answers and some sort of advice and some sort of direction. So when they're asking, did you know he was going to be taken today? They're pretty sure of the answer to that question. But what they're really asking is something deeper. What is it? We're not entirely sure. Are they asking for guidance? Or are they getting overwhelmed? Are they wondering if this is true? Are they wondering if he can handle the role he's about to take on? Are they getting 
anxious or excited or nervous for what's going to transpire? Are they wondering if with all the brokenness in Israel, if Elijah's leaving will be the last blow? If without his leadership, the rest of the nation will spiral so far that the nation completely abandons God? Are they to be handed over to their enemies? Elijah was hope, and Elisha was just his disciple. And so Elisha answers them both times like this. I know. Be quiet about this. This is not what we're supposed to focus on right now. Now, Elisha himself is probably deeply, deeply saddened. I don't think that's why he's telling them to be quiet. I think he's telling them to be quiet because he doesn't need them to be dwelling on this. I think he's telling them so that they aren't anxious. He's telling them, be quiet, be at rest. Don't ask these questions right now. This is not a question for this moment. This moment, we need to spend with Elijah while we still can. This moment, we need to trust that God will take over all the moments to come. But in this moment, just be quiet. Be at peace. Don't dwell on it. I wonder if that made them more anxious. I wonder if that calmed them. They were in the whirlwind, and they didn't know what was to come. Now, Elijah was in his own whirlwind. He was faced with his own ending. Nothing like this had happened to anyone before. What is he to make of it? Elijah is known for trusting in God. Obviously, he's a pretty great prophet, I don't doubt that he trusted in God, and yet, what must he have been feeling? Because he didn't know really what was to happen. He trusted in God, and yet he himself had never seen the kingdom of heaven. He trusted in God, and yet, except for Enoch, no one else had ever left the earth without dying. There had to have been some questions, and in all of that, in his own personal whirlwind, before the whirlwind, he still thoroughly, faithfully, completely trusted the Lord in his guidance. And we can tell that. We know he did, because when God said go, he went, and he still took after took care of Elisha in the process. And then God said, go again, and he still went, and his time was getting shorter and shorter. He still went to his other group of disciples and still continued to take care of Elisha. And then God said, go again, and he went again. He just kept following God, even up to the very last moment. He kept trusting in God because there was something bigger than him. Elijah Elijah trusted in God so much, he knew, this is my last day on earth, and yet there's still something bigger that I need to work through. There's still something beyond me, because here on earth, there is still corruption and brokenness and pain and depravity and people turning away from God, 
And even though I'm leaving, God's kingdom is still more important and still bigger than even my own life. So I will follow every last instruction of God, even up to the very last second. That is how Elijah acted in his whirlwind. And then there was Elisha. I, I think I related with him most during this time. Because someone he deeply loved was about to be taken away. And so I think Elijah probably had a lot of questions, and yet he himself knew he was going to meet God that day. But Elisha, Elisha was left with the aftermath. Elisha wasn't going to meet God that day, wasn't going to be taken up. He was going to be left here to take care of this mess in the kingdom of Israel. And not only that, but these groups of prophets are kind of looking to him now, and there's all this pressure, and the man he loves is leaving forever. Well, not forever. Elisha has a big whirlwind. How does he deal with it? In this time of impending finality, Elisha prioritizes, and he follows God. Now, in 1 Kings 19, Elisha was called by Elijah. And Elisha followed straight away. He said goodbye to his parents. He got rid of all of his tools of his trade, killed off all his livestock, sold what he could, gave away to the community. He cut ties, completely severed ties, at the very moment that Elijah asked him to follow the Lord. He did. He turned his back on his old life and completely followed God. There was nothing for him to go back to. He did it very thoroughly and very completely. That's what kind of life he led. So even in these final moments of Elijah's life, Elisha stuck with him. And this is an act of trust. Elijah gave him outs. He said, go ahead and stay here. I'm going to go to Bethel. Go ahead and stay here. I need to go to Jericho. Go ahead and stay here. I'm going to cross the Jordan. And each time, it maybe would have been easier for him to stay there and to say, okay, well, I'm going to say goodbye here. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to tend to the confusion and the chaos that's building. I'm going to work for the Lord. That would be an acceptable thing to do. But he said instead, no, I'm going to follow you to the very last minute, and I'm going to follow God. Because up to this point, being a disciple of Elijah has been teaching him about God's paths and God's kingdom. And he wants that to the very last moment. And further, he wanted... God's blessing. There's something strange about when Elijah finally asks, just before being taken up, what Elisha would like. Elijah asks him, what can I do for you? And really, there are a lot of things that Elisha could have asked for, but what he asked for, in and of itself, 
showed how much he trusted God and how much faith he had. He asked for a portion of, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He wanted the power of God that resided in Elijah. Now, we might be very tempted to take this literally in our culture and say, oh, he wanted more power than Elijah had. And that's not entirely wrong. He had double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. He, Elijah was recorded with 16 miracles of God and Elisha with 32. That's double. But what he really wanted was the firstborn's blessing. So the firstborn's blessing was a double portion of the inheritance. And so with Elijah's spirit presumably being divided amongst all of the prophets that are still in the land, all of his spiritual children, Elisha was asking for the firstborn's portion. He wanted this more than anything else he could have asked for because he wanted to serve God. He knew he was going to be moving into this leadership He knew that he was going to be taking Elijah's place, and he wanted to ensure that it was God's spirit that filled him, that he was going with God's blessing. This blessing was not Elijah's to give, and he said that. He said that's a difficult thing to ask, but he didn't deny him. He just left it in God's hands, and he said, if you're there when I go, if you see it happen, that is God's blessing on you, and that is confirmation that this will happen. And so that's exactly what happened. Elisha was then filled with God's spirit, and that's an incredible thing. He took time to mourn. He tore his cloak. There was brokenness there. But he also immediately tended to what was around him. He trusted that God had given him his spirit, and he took up Elijah's cloak. That's a confusing thing also. The kids were passing a baton like a relay race. Well, the prophets passed on their cloaks. It was a symbol of saying, It is my time to end this ministry here, but God's kingdom still goes on. So when my time in ministry is over, God's kingdom is never over. And it's more important than my own time. So I'm passing on this cloak to you. God passed on the cloak to Elisha. Elijah never took it off. God himself passed it on to Elisha when it fell to the ground, and Elisha took it up, and in faith, he walked over to the Jordan River. Now, I want you to think about the imagery here. Fifty prophets from Jericho just watched Elijah separate the river with his cloak. That was a powerful act from God. And now those same 50 prophets who were mourning, who were confused, who were concerned that with Elijah being gone, maybe God would leave them or maybe 
their time was limited or maybe Israel was going to fall. These 50 prophets who were maybe doubting, maybe anxious, also watched Elisha come back across that same river and strike that same river with his cloak and the same power of God separated it. But that's not the only place we see something like this. And obviously these prophets knew that. Moses separated the water with his staff by the power of God. Moses was a great leader, and the people knew that God spoke and worked through Moses, and yet Moses died. And who took over for him but Joshua? I wonder if the people were anxious then too. But Joshua, filled with the power of God, one of the first things he did as their leader was allow the power of God to go through him in dividing the water of the Jordan. And so generations and generations, this same power of the same God has been present in all of the leaders and all of the people. It has never, ever, ever left because the power of God is not limited to one person, as maybe the prophets were worried about with Elijah. And so this symbolism of the water dividing is reminiscent of that. They're thinking, it's not just Elijah's God, but it's the God of Moses and of his forefathers, of generations from times when we can't remember all the way back to the beginning of the earth, the same power of the same God has always resided in them. And so when Elisha questioned them, Where is the God of Elijah now? The answer was, he's right here. And they saw that when he struck the water with a cloak, just as Elijah had, just as Moses had, just as Joshua had. God is not limited with our same limitations. In the time of whirlwind, The prophets were confused and anxious. Elijah trusted. And Elisha did too. But that's not all. The reason they trusted was because there was something greater. And that's the same for us today. And that's this message of Lent. There is something greater than this world. We don't live in a time quite like the time of King Ahab, and yet we live in a time when there is brokenness, whether it's small struggles in our lives or big, big struggles, we live in the same time of brokenness, and yet we each press on because the kingdom of God is greater than each one of us. The kingdom of God is what we are striving for. We remember this during Lent because God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins. We remember the journey to the cross during Lent. We remember the brokenness that Jesus obtained from this world, the sin that was laid upon him from this world, and we live in this world, and we're still in the midst of this brokenness. And that can get us down like the prophets who said, we know we're supposed to be bringing God's, God's 
blessing to this land. We know we're supposed to be telling the people about our Lord. We know that we're supposed to be living for the kingdom, but right now we live in this awful time and place. That's a lot like us now. We know Jesus died for us so that we could be members, so that we could be his children in his kingdom and live in a great glorious place with wholeness and wellness but we live here now. And that's where the trust comes in. The trust like Elijah's and like Elisha's that goes beyond our own lives. The trust that says, yes, as we hear on Ash Wednesday, I'm here for a moment. To dust I will return. But even after I return to dust, God's kingdom is still important and God's kingdom must still reign and will still reign. So all this work that I do in my life here and now and all the trust I put in God, that's important for his purposes and his glory. But his purposes and glory go beyond me. And so like Elijah did, he passed the baton, he passed the cloak onto Elisha. When we live in trust for God, we live beyond ourselves. Even to the very last moment, even in the most chaotic of whirlwinds, even in the darkest of times, we always live in such a way that our trust resides in God, wholly and completely. If the God of Elijah is no longer with us, then we have no hope, and our strivings are in vain. Can you imagine the prophets? That's where the chaos stemmed from. That's why Elisha asked the question. If there's no hope, then there's no reason to keep on going. The day-to-day struggles and brokenness would crush us. But that's not the case. And the God of Elijah is still right here. And he's proven to be here for everyone of every generation over and over again. And he's promised he will continue to be here. And we can trust that promise because he sent his son to die for us. And that's what Lent is about. And since he is right here, Then, in the face of all of the sin and all of the brokenness and every struggle, big and small, of every day and in every whirlwind, we can count on him and we can trust in him to get us through this and for his kingdom to prevail no matter what. And so, we have a choice to make today, every day, and especially as we enter into Lent, Are we going to let the brokenness of this world overwhelm us? Will we lose hope just as some of the sons of prophets were tempted to do? Or will we instead be like Elisha, trusting in our everlasting God to continue his kingdom work through us? These are the things that we struggle with as we journey into Lent. And I pray that you would let that be a part of you, um, 
that your trust would be magnified during these next weeks and that God would show that to you in glorious ways. So now as we move into a time of offering, I encourage you to reflect on some of the whirlwinds in your life, some of the places where you can trust in God, some of the places where you've felt you couldn't trust in God. Reflect on those and incorporate them into your Lenten journey. See if God will work in you in amazing ways in trusting in him in those areas. For now, I invite the ushers to come forward. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are everlasting. Thank you that your kingdom will reign, that there's more to live through and for than this. Thank you that in times of hardship, in times of uncertainty, we can always trust in you and that we can always look forward to the day when your kingdom reigns. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.